when you lose someone to suicide, it's usually a complicated grief process. And that usually takes like, it takes like five years before people can even like start to talk about the stuff they've gone through. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Low Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. I have to call you doctor or my mom will kill me. (laughs) Why? Why is that? Because my mom instilled in me very young she said if someone goes to school for that long to get that designation as doctor you address them as doctor do you understand and i said yes so my mom listens to the show so if i say (laughs) if i don't call you doctor i'll be in trouble it's a phone call i don't want to have i appreciate that you know what's funny about that my mom too would insist that you call me doctor There it is. That's it. It's a mom thing. It's a mom thing. I only use the doctor card if it helps a situation. A lot of times it's about making the other person feel comfortable and they want to call me doctor. And they're like, oh, Dr. Matu, Dr. Matu. And even though I'll try to be like, oh, no, just call me Dr. Ali. It's like sometimes they need it. Sometimes people come into my office and they want to see the diploma on the wall. I hate that. It's so weird and awkward, Um, but sometimes people need it to feel like, oh, okay, this is legit. I got this. This is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For those listening, welcome back to Off the Cuff. You just caught our nice preamble that we have on the show. I want to leave that in because I think it's a great explanation and (laughs) it's a great like uh, segue into our conversation. But I have to do a quick introduction for those that are listening. Today, I'm joined by clinical psychologist and YouTube content creator, Dr. Ali Matu. Doctor, how are you doing, first of all? Because, you know, I feel like Uh, you guys take care of everybody else. But how are you doing? uh, Today, right now, I'm good. I got a good amount of sleep. The night before, I did not. I had a wacky dream. I slept weird. Yesterday was a funky day. It was a mess. Today is good. I'm okay. I'm excited. This is super exciting for me. I'm happy to be here. I mean, the world's a pretty, pretty tough place right now. And that kind of filters through with the people I work with and the content I make. It's a big part of all of that. So I try to fill my days with as much goodness as I can. And this is a part of that goodness. So today, right now, this moment, I'm solid. Thank you for asking. Love it. I appreciate it. I'm happy that I could have such a positive impact on a doctor. You know what I mean? <laughs> People see doctor in front of your name and they and they forget that you guys have feelings too. What's tricky is like I'm in the business of feelings, right? And so, so much of my life as a psychologist has been figuring out how can I fully be there for my people, give them, give them what I got, give them what they need. And then in that like span of time of like 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is between me and like seeing my family again, how can I like somehow take care of myself so I don't bring all that stuff home? That's the hardest part about yeah. psychologists because you get trauma dumped on all day. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's got to go somewhere. Yeah, and I mean, that's what I signed up for, right? The thing I don't like about that that word trauma dump is it's almost like like someone's doing something to you. Like they're uh-huh. dumping on me, right? Yeah, but yeah. like, that's the job. Like I am trying to get, like, please dump on me. In every sense, in every in, sense. In every bring it. Let's just make a big mess of emotions here. Like so much of my job is about helping people get to the point where they can be as honest as they want or can about the stuff that they're going through. Right. Uh, like, mm. I like phrasing it that way, as opposed to trauma dumping, which makes it seem like do, 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 do. Yeah. Like yeah, all it's over. Very, it's very like Donkey Kong throwing barrels. <laughs> You know right. what I mean? And we're, right. Uh, as the general public, we're just trying to dodge all those trauma barrels. Right, right, right. And I'm like, oh boy, it's it's a trauma. It's not that. But the challenge is, is like, okay, part of my job is not only that, but then part of my job is like, how do I deal with this stuff? And this is anyone in any kind of like service industry, I think. Like whether you're in mental health or whether you're a nurse or whether you're a barber. Whether you're a bartender, right? Like people bring stuff and then you kind of have to figure out how do I take care of myself so that I can be a friend, I can be a husband, I can be a partner, I can be like a son, you know, I can do all the other stuff too. Um, But that's part of the job. That's a part of the job a lot of people don't talk about. That's a part of the job a lot of people don't really learn directly in school. You learn from like your mentors and stuff. But yeah, no, I appreciate you asking. Absolutely. Are are you required, like by law, to like see a psychologist yourself, or is that something that you could do if you want to? I've got a license. I am licensed by the state of California and also the state of New York. And a part of my license requires that I am capable of doing this work. And what that means is like I'm getting my rest. I'm sleeping. I'm taking care of my mind and body. I'm drinking, although this is uh, this is coffee. I'm drinking enough water. I'm eating all that stuff. Like I can show up and do the work, right? Just like how you wouldn't want your surgeon to be sleep deprived before they're operating on you, right? So I have to take care of myself. And if I am not doing that, then that's where I can get in trouble. So... I'm not required by like law, but as a part of being a licensed psychologist, I am required to take care of myself and psychologists or or other other mental health folks who might get into trouble there. Then there might be some kind of like a process where the state is is checking in with you and seeing like what help do you need and can you continue practicing or like, you know, there are therapists who struggle with substance use. There are therapists. We have our own ups and downs with depression, anxiety, and all this sort of stuff. So the question sort of becomes like, do you have the support you need? Do you need more support? And can you continue practicing right now? Which is like the same as everyone else, you know? Sure. Do you guys get drug tested? I always wondered that. Uh, Sometimes if you're working at certain hospitals, they do require you to go through drug screening before you you get hired usually they don't really check after that unless maybe you've had some problems and and you're working with your employer to get through that 
When I was working at Bellevue Hospital, I had to do a drug test there before I started. I don't remember if I had to do one when I was working at Columbia. It was so long ago. Just to go back, your genesis, your ethos, where are you from? Where's your family from? <laughs> I grew up here where I live now, which is Northern California. I was born and raised in the early 80s. My parents were immigrants from Pakistan. My dad sort of came here in the early 70s looking for like a better life, all that sort of stuff. I never thought this was going to be my path. My brother was super into technology and growing up in Silicon Valley, like that was more of the clear path. Like my dad worked in tech. Everyone I knew in like all the uncles and aunties, their whole world was tech. Everything was tech. And I thought that's like what most people do. So I thought somewhere in my future was tech. And then I took like one programming class in high school and just totally, totally hated it. Yeah. I hate it. Like my mind, it hurt me so much. Danny, it hurt my, it hurt my brain cells so much to try to like understand any of that stuff. And so I was like, okay, maybe tech's not for me, but I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I, and I wasn't, I wasn't a terribly good student. I went to community college discovered. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. I freaking love community college. It is Let me tell you something about community college. It gets a really bad rap, but it's a huh. great place to find yourself. when like, you're kind of not ready to find yourself. 100%. I mean, what an amazing thing we have in America where for such as like, like the cost of failure at community college is so low, right? Oh, it, yeah. It's like, well, at least it didn't financially kill me that I didn't figure right. out. My- right, right. Yeah. And, and I think that's where it gets a bad rap is like, oh, it's so cheap. Like no one cares. No, but that's a beauty of it. It's so cheap and no one cares. You can figure things out. And that's that's where I sort of I discovered intro psych. And what's what's I think is so amazing about community college is like all those college classes you take, they can transfer to oh, yeah. a four year university. That's where I kind of figured out, oh, there's this thing called psychology. I freaking love it. I was always a science fiction nerd. And so for me, psychology had all of these scientific answers for all the questions that science fiction raised. You know, like I freaking loved not Pirates of the Caribbean. No, no. Planet of the Apes, totally different franchise. (laughs) I enjoy both. I enjoy enjoy both. I do like Pirates. Not a lot of social commentary there, but I love the social commentary and like Planet of the Apes, like why do we do these things to each other like in humanity and you know one of the first things you do in a lot of war situations to is dehumanize your your enemy that's what uh planet <laughs> of the apes was all about and then i discovered like social psychology which talked about all that stuff and had experiments and all that. so i was in love man and so like from there it was like a straight shot i love being able to come on this show and ask all the quote unquote dumb questions, the observation <laughs> questions that people want from a doctor, and but they're afraid. I'm not afraid. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. Do you ever feel like you have to straddle the fence and the line when it comes to content creation and also being a doctor at the same time? Like, is there a conflict of interest that? Oh, you can I see. Like, 
that you could face from like a higher up being like, well, you're kind of giving like what you do away for free in a sense. Mm. And like, people without health care have access to all these things because the American healthcare system is still trying to figure itself out. Right. So that's a nice way of putting it. But, you know, do you ever feel that you could get in trouble for sharing coping mechanisms? Uh, <laughs> you know, like, can, has it ever crossed your mind like, oh, man, like maybe I can't create content like this because like the higher ups are going to be upset with me if I do this? And that's a really interesting question for a few few different reasons. The short answer is like, no. I never worry that I'm like giving away the good stuff. Like, oh, there's no way I could share this cool breathing technique with people. Like, like I'm totally going to be just cannibalizing my business. No. So first off, like the reason I started making content is because I was so frustrated at how hard it was for people to see me, access me, learn this stuff. So number one, that would just go like, against all my values of, of creating stuff. But your question was more about like, do I get pushback from the higher ups, right? Um, so I don't, I've never received pushback from higher ups about you're like, you're giving away too much. No. And the other thing is like, when and now I'm just like working for myself. So I say who I see as patients. I see how I, I, I am control of how many people I see. I am control of my content, all that sort of stuff. But for most of my career, I was working at Columbia at an academic medical center. I had all the bosses. My initial boss, a wonderful woman, one of my mentors, Anne-Marie Albano, Dr. Albano, she was the best because she was super active in more traditional media beforehand. She did all the like write letters to the editor stuff when they got stuff wrong in the New York Times. She would do interviews with like local state national news and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. She, she did like talks in, in schools and community centers. And so she believed that this is really important that we again, have this specialized knowledge. We need to get it out there. So she and I were like values, like, Mm, we were right there. You know, the only difference is like, I was more about podcasts and YouTube and she was more about like newspapers and TV. So she got it. Um, she was super protective of me. And the other thing she knew is if you want your clinic to thrive, if you want your clinic to get more money and more opportunities in the university, but then also like in the community, if you want to be known as like, hey, this is the place you go to get anxiety treatment. That's sort of my thing. And that's what we did at the clinic we were at in, in Columbia. Then you need to be out there. People will come to you if they see you as the leaders in this. And they will see you as the leaders in this. If you're in the newspaper, if you're in the news, if you're on podcast, if you're on YouTube. And so she knew this is good for the world. It's also good business. And it protects us in the university. If the deans and all that stuff, there's like so many bosses. In That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I feel like in a university, it's everybody. And you got to answer to like people that fund the school and like uh, yep. people actually work there. It's a lot of voices yep. that you control. Yeah, it's a lot. And so we had my boss's boss, but then like 
my boss's boss was in psychology, but there's also psychiatry people. And then there's a person on top of that in this division, but that person answers to a larger division person. And then that person answers to all these deans. And so um, visibility and having more influence in the local community and the larger community, all that stuff only protects you in academia and hospitals. So all that stuff was good. But here's where I did get pushback. And bless her heart, uh, Dr. Albano, my boss, she protected me from all of this. There would be times where they would say, like, what's all he doing? He, like, went and did this interview over here. Like, that's time he could be seeing patients. Like, why isn't he seeing more patients and doing all this sort of stuff? Or I did the show with A&E and that for a few months, that took a lot of time out. And that was time where we had to, like, reserve rooms at Columbia. And so the higher ups are like, this is like a lot of time all he's taking. And then my boss would be like, yeah, but this is going to be really good for us. And this is good for the world. So back up, let him do this. So I had an advocate who really protected me. And really support Dr. Albano. She's the best, man. It's weird because we need those people who are like cross-generational to like help people get to the finish line sometimes. All the time, man. All the time. The hardest thing about being a therapist is how lonely it can be. Interesting. Yeah. People don't get that. Like it's hard for me. I'm trying to think about it now. I'm like, well, you kind of see people all the time. I'm like, right. it's one of those things where you don't get it unless you're in it. So you see people all the time, but it's not like we're hanging out, right? It's, it's like yeah. you are getting all of me. You're getting the full powerhouse of my empathy, of my knowledge. Like I, I am working. I'm bringing it for you, right? But it's very rare for a full-time working therapist to have a lot of downtime where they hang out with other colleagues and we sort of shoot the shit. And then even when we're shooting the shit, we can't talk about all the shit because of privacy laws, right? I can't talk about all the stuff my patients are going through. Now I need to be able to get help for the stuff that's really overwhelming for me. And I've learned how I can talk about the stuff that I'm going through with my patients in a way that protects their privacy. But it's not like, I don't know, working some kind of corporate job where your boss yells at you and then you go get lunch with your coworkers and then you talk about how your boss yelled at you. It's like you're not getting that kind of support. So a lot of people in mental health who are just kind of working on their own or they might be even be in a, in a clinic or in a hospital uh, they're seeing like six, seven, eight people a day. Social workers sometimes have even like way more appointments than that. Also psychiatrists sometimes. They're seeing people, 15-minute appointments. They're seeing a ton of people. You see all your folks, you clock out, and then you go home. Even if you work in an office where you got a bunch of colleagues around you. And that's because of like the mess up state of our healthcare and how hospitals and these organizations that want to crank up how many people you see and squeeze as many people in. And that's a whole other depressing thing about insurance and all that stuff that works. But, but it can be really, really isolating and lonely. And so any colleagues you have that like help you through, they're the best, man, that make it all good, that make it all yeah. possible. So when does the husband hat come on? The morning and evening. So I got two kids. Doctor hat, husband <laughs> hat, dad hat. 
Yeah, it's funny. You asked about husband hat, and I straight went to like dad hat, which yeah. is probably I need to talk to someone about that. Let's talk husband hat. Husband hat is like once our kids are are in bed, really, that's when we're like, hey, how's your day? I'm talking to my wife. She goes through her stuff with with work. It's kind of like checking in with each other. How you doing? How am I doing? And one of the things my wife and I really like to do is we like to have some kind of fun together at night, which usually means like watching something stupid. Some days we just we just do that. Some days we'll just sort of talk and catch up. And some days one of us is going through something we need to talk about. But it usually happens like late night. I made a video a few years ago about like what it's like to be married to a psychologist. I was editing that video. Then I got sick of editing it. And I just posted it as this like 45 minute like conversation. And people love it. People love the inside, like whatever the mechanism of people's relationship and how yes. like, that, it works. People are yeah. so, so interested in that. See, the other, that was going to be the follow up to what I wanted to ask you is. I'm newly married. I yeah. got married in May. Congratulations. Uh, thank you so much. Love my life. Love her to death. How do I not stress her out with like shit that I go through? I feel like that's a thing that a lot of people have a hard time is we want to share everything with our partners, right? And we want to be yeah. on, on yeah. such a like a level, a level playing field and a level mental field. Like we're on the same page. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I was diagnosed uh, bipolar too, but I've been talking to my doc. I feel like I'm fringe one too. Like I'm on a spectrum. Like <laughs> there's, a, there's some kind of bipolar spectrum that I'm on. And, and you're we'll you're bipolar type one point five. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I'm a remix. I'm a bipolar. Yeah, yeah. Remix. There we go. <laughs> yes, we're figuring that out. But uh, that's what I was diagnosed with years yeah. ago. And then panic disorder, anxiety disorder, GAD, as you guys yeah. know, let's call it in your GAD. Field. Yeah. G-A-D. Like, so I have a hard time, like, I feel if I tell her about my symptoms throughout the day that I'm adding stress to her life, like, like, what's a good way for the listeners and I to incorporate some kind of communication coping mechanism? Yeah. Not stressing partners out so much for what we're going through. Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And that is, uh, I I think it's really great because we all struggle with that. Um, oh, yeah. Whether it's with our partners, I know like a lot of people I've worked with, um, especially people who have bipolar disorder, they worry about this as it relates to their friends, too. Yeah, like, I do all the time. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, should I be texting my friend this or like, is this too much? Have I been texting him too much about this stuff? So the first thing I would say is like the fact that you even care and are aware of this concern, I think is a good sign. right like it it means like you you definitely care about this relationship you care about this other person and you're also self-aware enough that like i i do need help in these different ways and i don't want to like distress this person out right so i think that's a good sign so the second thing i would say is all of this really becomes trial and error like you, you don't know until you try. Like that's one of the things I learned during the pandemic about my own mental health is the stuff that helped me fall asleep before the pandemic stopped working in 2020. Like, oh yeah, me too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, what what was it that helped you fall asleep? 
So what used to help me fall asleep is I used to have like a a beautiful wind down session. I used to set yeah, yeah. like a, like a bedtime on my phone and I would have a wind down session. And I used to be able to put my phone on a counter on yeah. the charger, get yeah. in bed, and I would watch uh like sports highlights. Yeah. Uh, until I got tired and fell asleep. Yeah pandemic happens there's really no sports there's no sports they're all gone yeah yeah they're all gone so i lost my sleeping coping mechanism yeah so now it turned to my phone but yeah i was sleeping with my my she was my girlfriend at the time she's my wife now uh i was doing that and i would have my phone on like watching youtube and she'd be like you can't like watch youtube while i'm trying to sleep like it's just i I can't she silence and like white noise So now I have this horrible habit where I put one AirPod in. Yeah, yeah. And I fall asleep like watching like restoration videos. <laughs> I went through some similar stuff since I was like a teenager. The thing that helped me fall asleep is I would imagine that this is pre-pandemic. I would imagine that I am a captain of the Enterprise chilling with Captain Kirk and Picard and we're just we're freaking exploring stuff. Hell yeah, man. Live long and prosper. And we're freaking living long and prospering out there, right? Like, like it was basically me imagining this like super bright, optimistic, fun future. And then in 2020, like my head could not get to that place of imagining a better future. I was like, is this it? Is this how yeah. we like go? go back to that dead space. That yeah. Dead space. Yeah. Oh man, it was terrible. And so I had to relearn a whole different way of being. I talked to another psychologist about this and she said she recommended a lot more like instead of mind stuff, a lot more body stuff, like doing some like stretching and relaxation stuff before bed. And I started to do that. And then what really helped me, though, is like I started imagining like really happy moments in the past, thinking about my like wedding day. And that helped me. So like, I couldn't think about positive stuff in the future anymore. I had to think about positive stuff in the past. But I share this example because coping is always trial and error. It's about what's helping you right now. And what's helping you right now might not be what helps you a year from now. And it might be different from what helped you a year ago. And so when you're thinking about your partner or your friends, it's about like giving yourself permission to try and to see how it goes. And it's okay if it blows up in your face. I agree with that so much. I think so many people are just afraid to fail at so many things in their life. And I think they associate it so much with work and like their profession. It's like, you have to have that same kind of mentality when it comes to like friendships and relationships and, you know, living everyday life, dealing with people. It's someone that's dealt with like such panic disorder, such as myself. I have to leave it all out there because yeah. I I get so anxious about like the future and being like, why didn't I say that when I could have said that? Like, wh- like why couldn't I have done that when I could have done that? Whether it be professional or whether it be personal, you know, I think it's just a, a lot of people just have a hard time getting to that point of comfortability. And a panic is a good example where like it so changes and morphs with time yeah. and situations. Right. And so like giving yourself permission to try and seeing what happens. And then the other thing with another person is talk to them about it. 
like this is something we don't do often. It's like, hey, I want to check in. Like, here's what I did yesterday. I was texting you every couple hours, sharing these like worries I had. I'm I'm better now than I was yesterday, but I want to talk to you about it. Like, what was that like for you? Is that overwhelming? Do you yeah. want to hear those kind of things? Do you not? The hardest two, three months of my training was my very last year before I got my uh, PhD. When I was at Bellevue Hospital, I was working in a oncology palliative care unit. So what, is that? what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> right, 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 right. Palliative care is end of life care. It's when you're less focused on treating the disease and you're just focused on like lessening pain and lessening the symptoms. That's palliative care. Oncology is treating what a, beautiful, uh, cancer. What a beautifully sad job. It's like Pat Adams. Sort of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Pat. <laughs> they lived in Patch Adams, most of the kids, but like, you know, some of them didn't. You know what I mean? That's, that's such a remarkably beautiful, sad job. It felt a little bit more. What was his other one with Matt Damon? Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. It leans a little bit more Goodwill Hunting than Patch Adams. Patch Adams is a little bit more like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You treat right. a person, you win, you lose, or you treat an illness, you win, you lose, you treat a person, you win. It was yeah. a little bit more like higher energy. This is a little bit more lower energy. And like the group of people in this unit, it was like very interdisciplinary, meaning like there was mental health people, there was like pain people, there was nurses, there's social workers, there's a lot of like different folks involved. But our job was really to like reduce suffering. The other part was oncology, which is uh, working with people who have cancer. So these are not easy cases. Like a lot of the people I worked with, they're going to die soon. And they knew they're going to die soon. And my job was to sort of be there and help them with it. It was a hard experience on a number of... Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Talk about taking your work home with you. Hey, the yeah. person that I learned to love so much and care for is God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Talk about trauma. That's just yeah. like, you loved this person and genuinely probably wanted to, you know, in, in your heart of hearts, yes. obviously, you, you want to help them get to the finish line of their life the least painful way. Yeah. At that point in my career, I was like, bring it. I want to do the hardest stuff. I am so good. I know. I know everything. I got this. And then like that whole year at Bellevue was like, oh, you think you got this? Here's some shit for you. It just like destroyed me and rebuilt me as this like a therapist who is very humble and realizes I don't really have it all together. But that experience was tough, right? What was really difficult about is like I'm used to like being in a nice cushy chair in my office. And like working with people who are kids, teenagers, adults, like rarely before that time had I worked with anyone like older than like 50. Now I'm working with people like, you know, in a very different part of their life. Anyways, that was really hard for me. I had a lot to learn. My days were so long that I would come home and talk to my wife about all this stuff. And a few days in after my first patient died. And like, I didn't get to say goodbye to him. We didn't, he, he died in the middle of the night. We thought he was doing okay. And then, and then he, I came in the next morning and I was like, Hey, I want to go see, you know, John Smith 
you know, he's my first appointment in the morning. And then the nurse was just like, John Smith died. Let me tell and you I'm something. Like, Nurses are cold-blooded, man. <laughs> they can be. Some- they can be. I, I have so many friends who are RNs and they're just like, I saw six people die today. I'm like, you are a gangster. Like, I was like, I don't know how you guys get through that. It takes a special kind of person to be in healthcare, man. You got to be a tough son of a gun. You got to really know your stuff and you got to know how to get through it. Like, I'll tell you the most fun I ever had was what I did right after that rotation. I was in the child psych ER and I have never worked with a group of people who are more fun than that team. And I mean, this is the thing about comedy and humor behind the scenes. We would joke about each other. We'd crack up. It was just like a barrel of laughs. And I think it's because we dealt with the hardest stuff with the people in the worst situations they will probably be in in their lives. And we had to support each other and help each other. And one of the ways we did that is just we just we crack jokes all the time. But getting back to this, so my wife told me, she said, you can't tell me these stories anymore. Like, because I told her about this person who just died and how he suddenly died and how <laughs> I it, like my wife would say the same thing. Yeah, right? Yeah. She said, stop. I wouldn't reveal like any personal details, but I said, like, I, I lost a patient today. They were really struggling. It's been really hard on me. And she said, I know you're going through stuff. You just cannot talk to me about this anymore because I can't. I don't even know. She's not equipped. Yeah, I am not equipped for this. And so I was like, oh, damn. For her to be saying that to me, I was like, okay, I probably passed this level a few days ago. And she's now telling me. So that's how I learned that, like, this is one of those things I don't bring up at home. This is one of those things I need my, my, like, colleagues to talk about. Like, I don't know if you've ever had, like, a really tough show or you had like a terrible experience with someone in the audience or something like that. Like when it's like really tough professional stuff, I find my professional colleagues are the better ones for that. Oh yeah. You know? 100%. So like a perfect example is this. It's like, I'll have a show sell really well. And you're like cloud nine. You're like, Oh my God, I sold out. Yeah. And then it's like, you go to one city and it's like, Oh, I only sold like 60 tickets. So it's like, <laughs> The only person that's really going to understand that is another comic that's out there on the road yes. playing the bumblefucks of the world. You know <laughs> what I mean? That's where you kind of have that camaraderie. And like I always say, a comic's favorite moment is when another comic bombs. And it's not because we want to see them fail. It's like art to us. There's an art to like bombing and like having that camaraderie come back and be like, damn, dude, like, oh, interesting. So like there's a camaraderie there of like being like, yo, it's all good. Like we've all had fucking shitty sets. Like we've all yeah, had bad. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it becomes almost like a a badge of honor in a way to share that with your colleagues. Like I could never explain that to my wife or totally have her understand the camaraderie. She'd be like, Well, like, aren't you sad? Like you didn't do well. Like the crowd was like, <laughs> or, she'll, or she'll be like, Oh, that crowd doesn't know what they're talking about. You're so funny. Right. Right. Honestly, I wasn't that funny tonight, to be honest with you. Right. 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 Like only other comics will understand that kind of sensation that you get from like those shitty circumstances. That's the answer to your question. Like, 
it's trial and error and figuring out, okay, what, what are things that these other people in my life, they like helping me with, they're well equipped to helping me with, and who's the best people for that? Like, there's certain things that my wife is amazing at helping me with. Like, whenever I'm like thinking about weird content, and by weird content, I mean like what that really means is like stuff that's different from what I've done before. Yeah. I always pitch it to my wife. Because she so doesn't care about the content I make. Yes. Like, she's not a fan of me by any means. And yeah. I would, like, if I'm pitching something to, like, people who love the videos I make, they're like, oh, that's awesome. Like, do it. But with my wife, it's like she sees through all that, like, BS of me. And, and she'll say like that's a terrible idea like I would yes, never watch yes. that video that's why we need them absolutely absolutely you need people who are honest with you and so I know like certain things that my wife is like amazing at she's like amazing at helping me when I feel like left out when I feel like lonely isolated when I'm feeling anxious about my own stuff in life she's great when I'm like struggling professionally with mental health work with like content work she's not that great of a source of support as good as like a peer can be self-admitted, yeah. which is good. I feel like yeah. a lot of partners get like caught up in like, I feel bad. I can't be this for you. Yeah. No. Like, no, you're not, you're just not equipped for it. Like you don't have to be, I think this is the thing for like answering the question about like mental health support, whether it's bipolar, panic, uh, generalized anxiety, like whatever it is, like one person cannot and should not be your sole source of support for everything one it's too much and two it's probably not like the best like there's other people who are good support for different things and so sure. it's trial and error and figuring it out and having conversations about it and and kind of like going from there to kind of flip it around one of the hardest things for me in the pandemic is like my wife was working remotely I was working remotely. We were stuck with each other. And like suddenly I became her like, like coworker at the kitchen. You know, she's like, oh, you won't believe what so-and-so said in the meeting. And yeah. at first I was like, oh, what did they say? Like a few months in, Danny, I was like, I really don't care what they said. I'm dealing with my own crap over here. Can you please talk to like one of your coworkers about it? I just don't have the context. Like I can't help you with this sort of stuff. But you know, you figure it out. You talk about it. I think the most important thing is to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I learned a great mechanism that I use with my wife is when it's recent. So like if she's like going through something, I'll ask her in the moment. I say, "Do you want me to empathize with you, or do you want yeah. me to find a solution?" Oh, dude, you are so far ahead of like, like ninety nine percent of men. <laughs> what the so listen, when I learned that, and she's like, "I need, I want you to empathize with me." I was like, "Let's, yeah, empathy it up." Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, totally. Like, you want to know that, like, the feelings I'm having are super makes sense given the situation I'm in. Like, sometimes that's all people need to know. And like what most men have like learned and trained is like, we got to go fix it. Like roll up our sleeves. All right. Yeah. What do you need me to do. I'm going to do it. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like I got my own problem. I can figure out my own problems. I just need you to tell me like that sucks. Yeah. It's helped our communication like so much. Just, <laughs> just understanding that there are gender roles sometimes 
in cis relationships, right? I'm not a woman. I don't know. I don't know shit about. <laughs> I try to do the best now of. I think a lot of people would benefit from the fact just being able to admit that they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. If my wife were here, one of the things she would complain about is sometimes I empathize too much. Yeah, like that's my go to. I'm like, let's talk about this. Like, wow, what was that like for you when you're going through it? And she's like, Ollie, I don't want your yeah. empathy right now. Like, can you just pick up the eggs tomorrow so I don't have to go do that? Yeah, <laughs> it so kind of gets like, flipped for us. It's almost like too much of anything's never a good thing, right? Yeah, totally. I wanted to touch on the suicide topic for a little bit. Let's I do it. I always have to go into it. As somebody is, I went inpatient for suicidal ideations a few years back. Best decision I ever made. I always say mm. it on the show. Group sessions like saved my life. Mm. Like being in there and, and getting a support system uh, and taking kind of my life into my own hands. So much stuff was getting distorted around me that it was becoming to a point where I felt overwhelmed. And I said, oh, yeah. it just be better like to not deal with any of this. And I said, you know what? Before I jump off of this terrace, let me try one last thing. Mm. And that was going inpatient. So long story short, I was getting ready to do it. I put my dog in the crate, say goodbye to my dog. I let my family know that I love them and stuff. And I was like, this is it. I'm just going to jump off my 11th floor terrace and yeah. that'll be it. I'll never yeah. have to feel this shit again. And then, you know, you start thinking about your family and stuff. And it's like, I can't believe like, what am I going to do to them? Like generationally, like, you know, am I selfish? What am I doing? Like, I, I, is this a coward thing to do? You start to think of all these things, right? In your mind. And then I was like, you know what? Let me just go. I, I haven't tried inpatient. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just go try that for a second. And I went in basically, you know, 5150 myself. The funniest question that they asked, they go, do you want to kill yourself? I go, yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> you know, in my mind, I'm like, who's an idiot asking this question? You got a bed or not? <laughs> Thankfully, they had a bed. Oh, yeah. They yeah. Had a bed and I was able to get in there. You lost your brother. Yeah. To suicide about 10 years ago. A little, little more, a little less. A little more. Yeah. He died in 2008. Yeah. It's been, it's been a while now. See, as somebody, yeah. you know, I do a podcast with my brothers. Like, my brothers mm -hmm. are. I, uh, they're like my everything. So uh, first yeah. of all, I just want to say I'm so sorry that you, one that your brother struggled, yeah, uh, so much that he, he, you know, thought in his mind that taking taking his life would be the right thing to do. You know, we're talking about empathy on here. It's like I can never blame somebody for taking their own life because I know what it's like to kind of feel pain and get to that point. I've had many friends die from drug overdoses. I've lost people to suicide as well. And it's like, I have to empathize with their pain. The first thing that came to my mind is like, if someone in my family tried to commit suicide, I'd wake them up and kill them myself. That's like where I always go in my mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's like, for someone like you that has such an understanding of the human brain and how it works, my question for you is, was this something that you saw coming with your brother was this something that you know you try to psychoanalyze him from a distance or even when you spoke to him about what he was going through and was this something that took you by surprise yeah you know i've never gotten that question and first off uh thanks for sharing your story this is not the first time you're sharing it but i think it's 
it's important for us to to talk about suicide. I did this panel with another YouTuber a few months ago with Anna Akana. She's great. She makes a lot of great mental health YouTube content. She also lost a sibling to suicide. She lost her sister to suicide. The prep for it, she and I were talking and we're like, let's like really talk about suicide. Let's have a conversation about it. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, yeah. Let's like, you know, I don't want to like make it fun, but let's like kind of make it fun. And she's like, let's talk about suicide. <laughs> that was like yeah, our, yeah. our thing is like, all right, we're going to talk about suicide. I think in, in all this stuff that we deal with mentally, just before you get into your thing, if you can't find any shred of levity in it, it's so consuming. It's so, yeah. And like, look, I mean, this is one other part of the human condition. Right. And dying by suicide is a part of all of these problems as much as like dying from cancer is a part of having cancer fortunately like recovery and remission from cancer is also a part of cancer but some people die from it and we need to be able to talk about these things and there's so many things we could talk about with this but like going along with the theme of like cancer is like sometimes people have a very long process of saying goodbye to someone who has had cancer and those last few years of their life are not pretty. And sometimes people feel, yeah, they feel sadness. Yeah. They feel sometimes guilt. Yeah. They feel like all that loss. And sometimes they feel relief after someone's died. We got to be able to talk about all of that, right? Like all of that mess. And the same is true with suicide. The same is true as mental health. You can't, you cannot talk about mental health without talking about suicide. Yeah. It's just, it's part of it, right? Did I see it coming? No. My brother had bipolar disorder. I don't share a ton about his story because that was his story. I do share my story in relation to his story. I know yeah, that yeah. seems kind of complicated there, but like... I always ask because, you know, it's it's your experiences that you lived through someone passing. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I always try to frame those questions. Like, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. And so like my brother was diagnosed much later in his life. He was about 10 years older than me. So he was a kid of the seventies and eighties. I was a kid of the eighties and nineties. And even when I was going to school, people didn't talk about mental health. Like, like in my lifetime, people have only really started talking about mental health and like, the 2010s. <laughs> oh, yeah. Listen, listen. You know, I, graduated, like, I graduated from high school in 2007. Uh, uh, yeah. 2007. I have a whole bit about how, like, the special ed room was like everybody. It was like <laughs> there was a kid with Down syndrome in there. There was a gay kid. You know what I mean? Like, they just put us all in the same room because they didn't know how to deal with any of us. And they were just like, yeah, this is like put them all in the same room and like hope they figure it out. Dude, I, as a kindergartner, they put me in ESL because they thought I didn't know how to speak English. Yeah, I yeah. did. I did. The thing is, I was an anxious kid. I had yeah. selective mutism. I didn't talk because I was anxious. Yeah. They put me wow. in ESL. Like the re- and they kicked me out of ESL two months later because I could hear the teachers making fun of the ESL kids. Oh. I could I figured it out. And they're like, oh, he knows what we're talking about. They booted me out of there. But like no one knew what to do 
with like what we now consider like neurodiversity, being on the autism spectrum, ADHD. No one knew what to do with LGBTQ plus kids. No one knew what to do with the bipolar kids, with the anxious kids or the depressed kids. Like no one knew what to do with that kind of stuff. So I think my brother grew up in an era where it was like just completely not known. And then for me, like I never saw, like growing up, I never saw any of the signs of bipolar as like bipolar. There was definitely times where like he would be up really late or times where I think he was getting like hypomanic, probably because he hadn't hadn't sleep much. Um, I just thought he was like, you know, a teenager or like yeah, he's know. just older than me doing old, older. Kid yeah. Shit. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. Once he was diagnosed and that was when I was in grad school. And then I looked back and I'm like, oh, like that night we played Street Fighter all night long when I was like nine years old. That's probably not like normal. It's like my brother told me I was the man 600 times last night. Like, <laughs> right, 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 right. I've done that to people <laughs> then like I'll text him at 330 in the morning like it's 4 p.m. Right, 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 text right. In the morning, be like, yo, Danny, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Yeah. And like as a kid, as a little brother, um, it was awesome when he was yeah. probably a little hypomanic because he's like, you like uh, Planet of the Apes? We're going to go to Blockbuster, rent all of the movies. We're going to watch them like back to back and we're going to like talk about it all night long. And I was like, hell yeah, we're going to do that. This is going to be the best weekend ever. After he was originally diagnosed, it was hard for me to tease apart like, okay, what's my brother and what's bipolar? And like, what does that mean? Like, you know, like. Because it's, it's, it's that family factor too, right? It's like, right. I love this person. And it's like, there's always like, that's not my brother. It's hypo human. Yeah. And it's like hypo genetic. Yeah. Responses to like close people having these issues. It's not like just somebody on the street. Like, you know, it's like, oh, like this person's. This like you people will say you see somebody on the street be like, oh, this person's just fucking nuts. Like you would right. never say that about your brother. No, and and that's the thing is like that's why like you can't be objective with your family because you can't be objective with your family. Yeah. You're too in it. So I never I never saw his his bipolar diagnosis coming and then like getting close to the end of his life. I didn't see the suicidal thoughts coming for a long time i wish i did and i felt guilty about that that i didn't see it coming the best thing about being a psychologist is i know a lot of other psychologists and i knew people who are like suicide experts yeah and so i talked to them a lot about this in the years after he died i'll never get forget this uh this is another psychologist melinda moore she told me this she said ollie you have no idea how many times you probably did save him just by being there, just by being like a loving brother. He thought of you. It might've been what kept him going. People who are suicidal aren't just like suicidal once, you know, no. it's not like one day yeah, they're no. like, Oh, I'm going to do it. No, it can kind of go up and down, especially people who have bipolar disorder. It can go up and down over the course of like many years. Right. Oh yeah, for um, sure. So like I make music too. Like I've been like, like hypomanic times in my life. And I'm like, I just made the greatest song ever. And I listened to it the next day. I was like, this is the biggest piece of dog shit. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And I deleted immediately. I was like, I can't believe I sent this to somebody at four o'clock in the morning last night. Right, right. And that's like I know exactly what you're talking about. That's man. the the nature of the illness, right? So I didn't see it coming. I was in grad school at the time. I was becoming a psychologist. I was not an expert in any of this sort of stuff. And then I dealt with it for years and years after that. And for a while, like I tried everything I could to not work with people who had bipolar disorder because it was too close to home. Right. And then I eventually got to a place and this actually started the more was sharing my story and getting more comfortable with that and kind of understanding my story. Then I thought it was like, it was more a way of like honoring his life and who he was by also like being there for other people who kind of go through this stuff. I hope that with what you do for a living, how you were saying like how lonely it could be. I hope you take the necessary time to yourself to like, think about what got you here. You know, people who have inspired you in your life and, and just really realize how many people you're helping on a daily basis. Like how you said, your colleague said, you don't know how long you might've bought him another month. Yeah. Just watching the planet of the apes with him. And it's impossible to know how you're feeling. You're a different individual, right? You could come yeah. on here and tell me this is how I feel about this and be totally different. As humans, we have to show some kind of trust with each other when it comes to talking about these topics. But I hope that you take the time to like take a step back and just be like, I have a vision, I have a platform, and I'll never forget about all the good times I have with my brother. But also you go back and think about times of like, you know, Instead of having that guilt, it's almost like, how can I make sure somebody else doesn't do this? You know, you, we started this at the, at the top with you asking me, like, how am I doing? And I said, today I'm good. Yesterday, not so good. One of the reasons why I was not so good yesterday is I had this dream about my brother. Mm-hmm. And I had this dream where I don't know what it was, but like he and I, it was kind of like back in the 90s. And he and I were like excited about this new game that was coming out. It was like a new Mario game for the Super Nintendo or something like that. In the dream, I remember thinking like, man, it was so great in the 90s when like there's exciting stuff to look forward to. And like, there's nothing. And then I was thinking like in the dream, I was like, man, the Marvel movies suck now. Everything sucks now. Like there's nothing to look forward to. And in the dream, like we get the game, we're playing it, we're having a good time. And then I wake up. And when I have dreams like that, and I woke up in the middle of the night, when I have dreams like that, I love it and I hate it. I yes. love it because it's like this great moment I had with my brother. And I hate it because it's like, well, fuck. You're reminded again that he's dead. He's not here. It's gone. Right. And, and, and no game. <laughs> there's a new Mario game that just came out on Switch. That, Which one is it? It's like Super Mario Wonder or something. I just got finished playing Spider-Man. If I get a oh, new- the new Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. If I get a new game, my wife will disown me. I'm going to talk to my wife for three days. Sometimes you're absorbed and you're in it and you got you to embrace it. That's the scariness uh, of dreams. I hope that one day we do figure out the essence of dreams and how to watch dreams back. I think dreams are as meaningful as they're meaningful to you. What makes a dream important is what you find important about it. I can't interpret this shit for you. I can help you 
create this space where we can talk about it and we can talk about, all right, Ali, what does it mean for you to have these means dreams about your brother? And for me, like the sadness of his loss combined with like the happiness of our life together, they're inseparable. Yeah. And I, I'm never going to be able to get rid of that sadness because oh, yeah. like, you'll never be the same. Yeah. I'm, I am like legitimately sad. He's not here. You know, I'm, he would have loved to have seen me do all my comic con stuff. He would have loved to see like my YouTube videos. He'd be like the first commenter on all of that stuff. You know, he would have been so proud of me. So excited. And so like, I'm always going to be sad, but what doesn't have to be there is that guilt or the shame or any of that sort of stuff, that stuff I've worked really hard on. And I'm now at a place where like, I understand he had this thing. It wasn't his fault. He had bipolar disorder. He did his best. And the journey of his life came to an end because of suicide. And the suicide was because of his bipolar disorder. That's not a failure. It doesn't mean that like he failed at dealing with it. It is just what happened to him. Just like for some people, they live through cancer. Some people die from it. It's the nature of the illness. You know, I used to be afraid of being like open about my geekiness and sci-fi and and like Street Fighter, all this stuff. I've been playing Street Fighter six since it came out. So don't. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Who's your character? I'm a Shoto slut. Uh, <laughs> I've been a Ken guy. Everybody's favorite was Ryu growing up. And I was yeah, like, yeah. No, I'm going to be Ken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother was a Ryu guy and I was always Ken. I used to not want to talk about that stuff because I thought people would judge me. But that's all the stuff that like I love doing with my brother. And he like instilled a passion for all that stuff. He took me to my first Star Trek movie. He encouraged all these things. So now... I wear these geeky shirts. I do these geeky things. And it's kind of a way of like honoring him and remembering him. I always say if there's nothing you don't want us to talk about, it's perfectly fine. I really appreciate you being that open because I know that's a tough topic to talk about to somebody that you just met today. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I, I understand like that's like the deepest of deep. If you don't mind, uh, yeah. me just a, a quick follow up. Are your parents still with us? They are. They're both still alive. Yeah. How are they doing? They're doing okay. They're in their 70s. They're like late 70s. My mom was always super supportive of all of my psychology, mental health pursuits. And it took my dad a long time to sort of come around to it and understand it. And when I told him I wanted to become a psychologist, he's like, Beta, do you know what MD stands for? And I'm like, no, what does it stand for? He's like, money doctor. Do you know what PhD stands for? I'm like, no, dad, I'm, I'm probably not going to like it. And he's like, or hungry doctor. <laughs> Are you sure you want to become a PhD? <laughs> he was so afraid that. Oh, uh, dads are so funny, aren't they? I no know way. he did make that up. He must have told one of his friends and his friends like, oh, no, don't be a PhD. You know what it stands for? But like, he was just afraid I wouldn't have any like livelihood and I would be like just like homeless and stuff, you know, like standard issue dad fears. He's also since come around. I got a video with me and him sort of talking about all this on my channel. So my parents are, they're good, but you know, they're getting older. And so stuff is not as, as easy as it was before. They're like stamina, their endurance, that, that kind of stuff is not. Hard seeing that shit, right? 
it's hard to see that. My mom's side of family also like everyone has diabetes. It's just like diabetes, diabetes. And that yeah, makes yeah. right. Yeah, like, yeah. Too, yeah. Man, freaking diabetes. Because when they're like dealing with stuff, the diabetes makes it so much harder to deal with that stuff and heal, you know, and I, I hate seeing that. It's tough watching them get older. I always think about it as my parents get older. I'm just like, oh, they're like just so blessed to be old, though. Yeah. Because you get to see grandchildren. You get to see like, look at all this, like just came from me, like having a crush on you. How weird. <laughs> I think what is the coolest thing about my parents is my dad retired in the um, mid 2000s. And one of my favorite things is like him telling me how much better his marriage with my mom got after they retired. My dad, I, I think he he probably has generalized anxiety, totally undiagnosed. Most dad do, I think, yeah. Right? yeah, always, always worried about everything. And finances were like the biggest worry and all that stuff. And so after he retired, I think his worries came down. He was less stressed. And he and my mom have had this like beautiful, like, whole new phase of their life where their marriage is great now and that's really great to see what just sucks to no end is that you know they only have one kid now i'm sure your parents are always going to think it's somehow their fault their entire lives i can't begin to imagine what they went through i lost a brother they lost a son and the one thing that my dad says to me when we talk on the phone that i just totally hate He's like, you know, you're my only son. And I'm like, no, dad, I'm the only one you got left, but I'm not your only son. Like, right. and I know that's like, there's some stuff lost in translation there. Yeah, lost it's, in translation, yeah. old school shit too. You to know, they, totally, totally. Yeah. You know, it's just, I, I'm, I'm happy that you're locked in with them though. That's like really, really sweet. Yeah. And like, you know, in the years after my brother died, it was it was not so good. Like I was trying to like launch my life and get out of grad school. And after my brother died, like right in the middle of grad school. And so it was supposed to be a five year program. I did it in seven. I did it by becoming this like turtle. I went in my shell. I wasn't like a ninja turtle, like doing cool shit. I was just like just chilling in the corner trying oh, to like, problems for anybody. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to deal with anyone. There were like months and months and months where like I just didn't talk to my parents just because I couldn't wow. like talking to them reminded me of my family, which was too overwhelming. And it was like much later in life that I learned when you lose someone to suicide, it's usually a complicated grief process. And that usually takes like it takes like five years before people can even like start to talk about the stuff they've gone through, which totally maps onto my life. So I, I needed to be a turtle to get to a place where I could like function again, you know? And and in those years, I was not the best son, but maybe I was because I was trying to like get through my own stuff, you know? In a weird way, it's like uh, you were on your way to be an individual, but that like kind of halted, but also rushed the process of you being an individual because you turned yourself off to like the masses. Yeah, totally. I came out of that in a better place. But like during that time, if I talked to someone, I'd pretend I'm an only child just because I didn't want to deal with that conversation, you know? Yeah, I can't even imagine that. It's like I was just talking to somebody before, like I lie about my job on airplanes because I don't want to have the conversation about what I do. 
yeah, 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 totally, totally. Uh, I can't even imagine something catastrophic like that being like, I'm just going to go around this this way because the conversation is just too painful. You know, I hope one thing people get out of your podcast and and also from my work, too, is like, yeah, we got to be really, really patient and like empathetic with other people. You never know in a conversation when you're like stumbling upon someone's trauma. Yeah, that's why it's like, it's, especially like just because people come on this show, it's like it doesn't mean like their trauma is like not still live and loaded and can combust at any time. It's like, I always want people to walk away from the show. Like it's a pleasant conversation about unpleasant things. Sometimes I was on the airplane too once. And like, someone asked me like, do you have any siblings? And then I was like, uh, this was like a year or two after my brother died. And I had no idea what to say. And my head was flooded with all those emotions. And I was trying to like, not cry in front of this person. And then I think I ended up just saying, no, 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 I'm an only child. And they're like, only child? What's that like? And I'm like, well, fuck. Yeah, um, conversation. yeah I was like, well, you know, it sucks because I didn't know what to say because I had no context for what it's like to be an only child. It's messy to be a human. And I think we need a, like a lot more patience with each other, kind of like yeah. zooming out. The world is in a tough place. People are doing the best they can. And especially with social media, we can be so critical of one another. But I think we need a lot more like patience with each other. And we need to have like more room for people to mess up and then try to learn from it. But like, that's not how social media works, right? It's not there yet. But I think it'll it'll start to get there. I think there'll be a level of forgiveness when it comes to things. But I also like statistically staying together and like having a really good marriage after this is like almost like astronomically impossible. So like, that's a beautiful feat. <laughs> like all jokes aside, like that's a beautiful feat. Like, listen, I lost one of my best friends at 13. He drowned in a pool. Mm. His family like fell apart after that. Like their marriage, like it was like over. So like mm. a, lot, a lot of times when parents lose children, statistically those parents end up like separating. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, it's also something I never really thought about i feel like you just gave me this little gift right there i always think of it i'm like you know what like good for them they're finding like some solace in their life because they've had all the excuses to like probably something like that so catastrophic gives people excuses to go off the deep end there yeah my my mom really struggled with a lot of insomnia after and she really learned how to take care of herself after that and part of that meant like getting some good treatment for her own mental health stuff that came up as a result of all of this. I think my dad was like really there for my mom to like help her through. And he needed that too, as opposed to like looking back and like guilt and anxiety, all this stuff, you know, he was able to kind of focus on like their marriage on helping my mom and kind of like being there. And that's kind of heartwarming to think about that. Like they kind of made it through this and like made it through together. I just always think like as cliche and as corny as it sounds like, there's going to be so many dark moments in the world. It's like when somebody leaves one mean comment on your Instagram and you reply yeah. to them instead of <laughs> the other people that said they love what you do. Right, right, right. Why right. would you do that when you have yeah. 50 people here that are like telling you that? So it's like, it's so beautiful to find like these small 
beautiful lights like that are your parents that like we're like we're gonna shine together and we're gonna take care of each other through this thing you talked a little bit how you coped and you turtled away and stuff like that i just wanted yeah. to ask you a couple of questions just on coping mechanisms i wanted to start just at like grounding methods what's like the psych 101 of grounding methods how do i kind of ground myself like when my fight or flight mechanism is just firing off yeah so one of the biggest problems with anxiety is it totally hijacks your attention. So we're really wired to pay attention to what's happening outside of us. We're wired to pay attention to like sounds and things we see and hear in the environment. We're wired to look at faces, to have conversations with other people. And most of us don't do too well when our attention gets like focused back in on our own bodies and what's happening inside of us and our own head and like all these thoughts inside of us. Cause like your body just does weird shit all the time. Yeah. It's always doing weird shit. Yeah. Like weird sounds. There's grumbles, there's bumps on your skin. Sometimes your hair is going to feel weird and like oily and crap. We're like these bags of water and gas that like do like weird things oh, through it. <laughs> right? We're like meat bags. The thing about your your thoughts is your mind just produces random thoughts throughout the entire day. When you're happy, they're going to probably going to be some happy thoughts. When you're down, they're definitely low thoughts. You know, like, you're dumb. No one likes you. You're not funny. Like, Ollie, your videos suck. When you're anxious, it escalates danger, imagines the worst case possible, all that sort of stuff, right? Your thoughts just reflect how you feel. And sometimes your feelings reflect your thoughts, and it's just random stuff. Another psychologist described them as like, your thoughts are just like the background noise of your mind, right? They're not that important. But when you struggle with anxiety or when you're just like really anxious, your attention, it's not focused on the outside world. It gets focused back in on your mind, on your body, right? So grounding is one way of focusing your attention on the outside world again. Ah, right. So, um, it's, I feel like I think that's an amazing way to put it. I didn't mean to cut you off because like yeah. I think a lot of people are like, I have to take my shoes off and like do all this. I'm like, you know, I don't think you really have to necessarily go that far down that start small. Yeah. And and this is where like, you know, we could talk about like mindfulness and meditation and all that sort of stuff. I think at the end of the day, we're really talking about taking your attention and focusing on stuff that's not your body and not not your thoughts. Like for me, my go-to is music. And it doesn't have to be like lyrical stuff. It can be like instrumental stuff. Like I, I freaking love film scores. Let's put on some like Lord of the Rings. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, hell yeah. Let's like fucking march into Mount Doom or whatever. Like get rid of some like Orakai or whatever. But like music will ground me so fast. For other people, it might be like, you know, like a warm beverage. And it's the smell of it, the taste of it. It's really whatever like activates your senses is a good grounding skill. Sometimes for, for some people, especially people who are like more like logical or maybe more visual, you can get grounded in idea 
uh, it doesn't have to be something that's happening in the outside world. I had a patient where she and I worked on developing grounding related to movies. And she would just run through the list of like, all right, so what are my top 50 movies right now? And she would go through that list and that would like ground her. She would get grounded in this idea. And that helped her to not get too focused on her own thoughts. Or it could be like, what are my top 50 songs? And I'm just going to kind of like run through that. I could only do so many things at once. It's it's an amazing yeah. thing. It can only really do so many things at once. Yeah. Yeah. And this is about taking that powerful mind because everyone I've worked with who has like, especially who has generalized anxiety or panic, you've got this like super powerful spotlight. And that yeah. spotlight gets way too focused on this stuff inside of you. And so it's about taking that spotlight and giving it something to focus on that is not going to make your anxiety worse. That's really about grounding. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was great. Because I, I, I really, I think people take the word grounding and like think like they have to like roll around on the ground for like... <laughs> Dude, you know, uh, I, used to, I, I used to be one of them. I was like, oh, yeah, let me like just take my shoes off and like stick my feet in the dirt. And I was just like, wait, this isn't what? And then I was like, you, know you can do that. That could be grounding, but then you got to like clean those puppies. Um, I think we, we like way overthink a lot of this stuff. And one of the other things that I hate on, on TikTok and Instagram is like when people are critiquing each other's coping skills, you know, it's uh, like, Dude, if it's helping them be in the kind of situations that they want to be in and deal with the tough stuff, it's good coping. Like, who are yeah. you to say that this is like, you're doing this wrong or like, that's not like the right way to cope with this. It's like, no, that like, yeah, like if that got that person through another day, leave them alone. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think uh, with social media, we've kind of lost the art of leaving people alone. We all want to be left alone, but like we don't, in a sense, in the content creation world, it's like. Uh, yeah. And that kind of goes along to like privacy and just like disappearing. I've, I've just been um, listening to Patrick Stewart's memoir. That's like my coping skill right now is like I'm just like listening to his voice, the audiobook, talking about all this stuff. And I just listened to the part where he got offered the role on Star Trek, he was having this lunch and he was away and there was like no way for his agent to reach him. And he's talking about how like this used to be a thing where people could just like disappear. You could just oh. disappear for hours or like days. So jealous of like celebrities that are so good or so big that they don't need social media like Daniel Day-Lewis. Right, right, right. Like, like where's he? What's he up to? He? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just rolls out of bed and like plays Lincoln. Yeah, that guy doesn't do interviews. That guy doesn't give. Yeah, a yeah, just loves art and his family. Well, and and like the opposite too is like no one's like, what's your thought on this hot topic like of today? Like, what's your stand? Like, pick a side. That wasn't a thing before. No. You know, no, that, that, that's why like uh, it's almost like if you have an Instagram account, you have to like talk about everything that's going on in the world. Like, I'm the first, and we talked about it in the beginning. Sometimes you just got to admit, I don't know what I'm talking about. I need to do way more research before I say anything. I'm like, dude, I make songs about sucking tits. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's not really my platform to like come out here and do that. You know, sorry. This is my expertise. You had Katie Morton on a past episode, and I always use her as an example. It's like, awesome. look, I can talk to you about anxiety. I can talk to you about this and that. 
I can't talk to you about eating disorders. I've only treated like a few people who had that. It's not my expertise. Go watch Katie Morton's stuff. She's treated a lot of eating disorder stuff. She knows what she's talking about. I'm going to stay in my lane here. But like social media kind of demands that you widen your lane. I like how you said like social media is not there yet with the patients. Like the way it has worked in recent years is the more extreme version of yourself is probably going to do better on social media, is going to do better with the algorithms. And like, that is just not the kind of person I want to be. I don't. If I go know, viral, I go viral, man. Like, I, I can't just be like, yo, what up, guys? Like, going to throw my dog over the bed today. I get to be an over, like, emphasized version of myself on stage. And then people yeah. meet me off stage and you're like, oh, like, I thought you'd be like, male or like that. I'm like, dude, it's an act, dude. I'm, this is a theatrical act. See, that's that's I'm, I'm a little jealous right now. It's tough for I'm you because you can't do that. I can't do that. I I wish I could make some of the mental health focused content that like non therapists make and like yes. sensational over like really wild stuff. I wish I could make that kind of stuff because then I'd get the views and this and that, blah, blah, blah. But like what you see is what you get from me. It's like this, what what you're seeing, Danny, this is how I am in real life. And this is how I am in my videos. It's not really sensationalized. I have to maintain like a professional identity. And I've decided my professional identity is just this. And I think that in the long run, that's just, that's way more important to you as a person too. Everybody, you know, it's, yeah. Need to fake the funk, dude. Like as much as you say, you don't want like people looking at your degree. There's a degree there, so <laughs> you, got, you got paperwork. I don't I have got, paperwork. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's my. So this is the other thing about like. I mean, we haven't talked about like mental health of like being a YouTuber and all and a performer. Like we're both performers in like different ways. You must have this thing because I have this thing too, where you compare yourself with that person who's like one level up or two levels up. And you're like, you know, why can't I get there? You know, why can't I get like, right? When I started, there was a, another YouTuber, uh, Vanessa Hill. She does this YouTube channel, Braincraft. She's awesome. She's now like doing a, a lot of stuff about sleep, but she used to do a lot of stuff about like brain science and psychology and all of that. And she was she was probably at the level I am now when I started. And I was so jealous of her. And then I eventually met her and we eventually became friends. And I told her all this. And she's like, Ali, when you were going through that, I was comparing myself with like, the ASAP science guys. And I'm sure they were comparing themselves with like Veritasium and like, you know, like they were probably comparing themselves with like PewDiePie. Who knows? Well, uh, it's, like, it's like people that go into like the tech realm and then there's like that one kid that MKBHD. Yeah. I tell people this all the time. You don't got to be the greatest. You just got to work hard. And like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was trying to compare myself with her and she's like, Oh, hey, I'm not a psychologist. You are. That's yeah. your advantage. Why don't you lean into that? Like, I'm like an educator who became this YouTuber. Like, that's my advantage. My advantage is I'm, I'm like really good at like these visual things. Like, awesome. you got to lean into. So I think there's like, like everyone wants to be Mr. Beast right now on YouTube. And like Mr. Beast, if you watch his, his videos, he's like, don't try to be me. Like, I'm me and I got really good at being me. You got to figure out who you are and then like 
do that really well. Like, yeah, man. let know? me tell you something. He's got uh, 10 million, 50 million, whatever subs, man. You have 250,000. Like that's, they're both amazing. Like there's talk about spectrum. Like that's a, an amazing feat. And I hope you're proud of yourself for that. Oh yeah. 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 I am at a point in my career where I don't, I don't care about the number of subs and the number of views. I care about like, am I putting out stuff that like I would want to watch and is helping people? That's it now. Like I want to up my game. I want to become a better storyteller, a better communicator. I want to help people. And along the way, I want to make money doing that so I can do more of it and do it better. But like I'm now at a point where I care about my craft and the impact of the craft. But for a lot of years, I was like, oh, my views. I only got a few hundred views on it. It's like, bro, hundreds of people watched you. Yeah. Like watching anything else. Right. Yeah. If a hundred people came in person and we're like, all right, we're going to just like watch you for 15 minutes. You would lose your mind. It's a wildly outrageous thing to think about in essence. And I think that's like a perfect way for us to wrap this one up. We talked about it in the beginning. We talked about it towards the end about how we impact people. And it's just mm-hmm. about trying to leave a, a positive mark on this fucking dark aged world that we're trending into so (laughs) being a symbol of light and also about your content for those who are listening where can everybody find you on the internet instagram tiktok any projects you have coming out give us the whole shebang youtube channel so everybody can find you and we're going to put it in the description below yeah awesome my home on the internet is on youtube if you search for Dr. Ali Matu, A-L-I-M-A-T-T-U, that'll get you to me. The shortcut is youtube.com slash at D-R-A-L-I, Dr. Ali, that'll get you to me. If yeah. you go to um, alimatu.com, I've got this anxiety guide. It goes through like my 10 rules of how anxiety works, how to overcome it. Um, so if you're interested in like that attention stuff, the grounding stuff we talked about, I got a bunch of things like that that'll kind of walk you through it. My focus this right now and next year is I'm trying to simplify everything I talk about so people can like easily apply it themselves. I'm working on a book that's doing this. You can download this free guide that has all like it's got like my best hits right there. Got all the bangers on it. It's all the bangers. So if you just go to alimatu.com, you sign up. I'm gonna hook you up right there. That's what like I'm most passionate about. But I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok. Uh Alimatu is is how to find me there. And I put stuff out there, it's which is fine. It's okay. Uh, my be- <laughs> but my, my home, my home is, is YouTube. Yeah. Fine is great. And uh, guys, you can find us at 101 OTC. But again, I asked you this question in the beginning uh, organically, but I usually ask a question at the end of the show is, are you happy today? I asked that question, uh, but we we got it out of the way early. So I, we, I we got it. I'm, I'm a happy camper. Any day I get to have a conversation with someone who really cares about this stuff and wants to talk about it like openly, I'm, I'm a happy camper. I so Danny, thank you for making that space and inviting me. And like, I hope there's a few people listening to this who are like, that was cool. I'm glad, I'm glad that yeah. did that because I feel pretty good about us doing this. Yeah, that's all that's all I ever wanted when we started doing the show. And I I really can't thank you enough. Dr. Ali, I have to call you doctor, or my mom will kill me. <laughs> thank you so much, doctor. 
for coming on the show. This has been Off the Cuff, and we will see you next time. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together, and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!